Welcome to the JDB Impact Podcast, the podcast that was created for entrepreneurs like you and me that are ready to grow and scale their businesses. As an entrepreneur who started out as the credit card queen, she then transformed her mindset, business, and finances into a stepladder to success. All of these steps have led to a seven-figure growing business in small town Nebraska. How'd she do it? Join the Impact Team with host Julie D. Bauman to gain the scoop on what it takes. Together, we will unlock the confidence and potential you have been looking for this whole time. Welcome to the JDB Impact Team. This is our interview podcast, and we are beyond excited today to welcome John Cannell is here to tell us all about this exciting business that he's been working on and evolving through. And so, John, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great, Julie. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, we're glad you're here. You know, the podcasts that we've been doing, um, you know, we've really been focusing on, you know, definitely evolving clients, building their businesses. And you just came right to the top of my list when I'm like, oh my gosh, we got to interview John. And it's just a very, very, very relevant topic we're going to talk about today with your business. And I can't wait to even learn more about your business. And I think our listeners will be super, super excited to hear what you've been doing. So to kick it off, John, just tell us a little bit about, you know, a little bit about your background and what you've been doing. Sure. So, um, native of Richardson County. I graduated from HRS in 2017, graduated from UNO in 2020, the summer-ish of COVID. I tell people I graduated from the comfort of my living room, which was true. <laughs> and um, then I just graduated from Creighton University with my master's back in May. And my master's is in investment management and financial analysis. My bachelor's was, was in business, banking, all that. But um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my, my background, so to say. Um, and as you mentioned, Julie, just last December, seems much longer, but not, um, I got up the idea, got up the initiative um, to start a little company named Cannell Partnership LLC, very creative name. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but um, KPL for short. And KPL, I'm the president and CEO. And basically all KPL does is we own and operate Bitcoin mining rigs. That's the general gist of it. And I'll let you direct it from there. But. All right. So John, just kind of a little plug in for Creighton, one of my favorite colleges. And, you know, I think that's awesome. All of uh, all the knowledge you've gained, which is really going to evolve, I think, into where you're headed to with your partnership and, you know, just know a little bit about KPL. That's why today I'm really excited, actually, to learn more about you <laughs> and everything you do. Um even though, you know, you look at, you know, you talk about that was in December and you just look at how basically how quick, you know, the world changes and the speed of business and the speed of commerce, um, definitely with KPL, why don't you just give us some highlights of, you know, just how you started and what you had to struggle through to just really get, get it off the ground. Sure. So I'll never forget. It was December 8th of uh, last year. And I work for a Catholic company. That's my regular job. So we got the day off because that's a feast day on the Catholic calendar. So I spent the entire day in my chair right over here in my room. 
And I wrote out a six page letter about what I wanted my company to be. And that letter covered everything from my own personal philosophy about business management, things like that, what the company would do, how compensation would work, all those sorts of things. And um, I, I know I've given you the letter, Julie, but I've had uh, to give it to some regulators of sorts because they look at my company and they think we're laundering money. They think we're a money services business. And I say, ho, 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 stop the phone. Just read this letter and you'll know what we're up to. So that, that's when it all started. And from there, after that, it was all about reaching out to friends, family, um, to see who would want to join me in doing so. Because for a long time, I had a number of high school buddies who wanted to give me money and say, John, just, just do it and do what you do. And I was happy to. But for a long time, I also told them I'm not ready yet. And with the idea of this company, with the idea of starting my own kind of because it's a company in a sense, but I view it very much in the sense of preserving shareholder value and, you know, increasing it in that way. So I, I do view it as managing money, but in a very focused and very purposeful um, manner, method. So after that, I reached out to a lot of friends and family to join me. And right now, where we sit today on July the 21st, there's 27, including myself, friends and family who have joined me. Um, and I joke with people that I'm the CEO of a one-person company, a very prestigious role, might I add. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Good title. But, uh -huh. but that E, more than executive, is standard for education because when people invite me into their home to talk to them about Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining, I feel like I'm teaching. And that just proves irony is alive and well because when I initially went into college, um, UNO, back in 2017, I was an education major and I wanted to major in history and eventually move on to administration. But now I find myself educating at people's dining room tables, telling them about Bitcoin and things like uh, things of that nature. So that that's the general gist of how it kind of got its legs underneath it. But. So what an iconic day that December day. And you know, it's interesting. And I, you know, and I when I visit with people and I tell them, you know, it's like when you can sit down and just be quiet and just be very still and plan. A lot of times you're planning and will build so much more than your actual physical working. And, and it's interesting when you, when you said that you had the day off, you know, you just, you know, you could solely concentrate. You didn't have to worry about the nine to five grind of a job. And, and it is, and, and look what you could build from, I mean, your, your six page, you know, you know, kind of thesis, you know, value proposition of what KPL is. I mean, it's amazing. And it's amazing to me because I think there is so much of, you know, education out there needed for, for what is, what, what is this virtual currency and why do we have it? And, you know, and all of the, you know, connotations that come with it. So no, I, um, it's interesting, you know, when you think about that, you should celebrate like that anniversary date of just, you know, like, you know, it's just a huge vision of, you know, cause you could have just been, oh, I got the day off, you know, I go do something, you know, you know, do whatever. And you chose to set the direction of your life. And, and I thought that's so, so amazing. So I think one thing, you know, before we kind of dig into some other things is maybe on, on KPL, um, maybe give us a little bit more education. I love that CEO, uh, certified education here of, 
of a little bit about how KPL operates, you know, as far as where it's really partnership and investors, maybe kind of talk a little bit about that to the listeners so they can get a really good idea when we go through some of the other, other items of what, um, what this is all about. Sure. No. Um, that, and that's a question I get asked often by the people who are potential investors and in crossing the threshold to an actual investor. And how, how it often goes is we'll meet at their dining room table, say, John, we're in, what's the next step? And at that point, I'll say, you need to determine how much you want to write me a check for. After that, I want you to forget you ever wrote the check. I don't want you pestering me, wondering how the company's doing, things like that. I don't want you to read a headline and suddenly think that the foundations of KPL got cracked or something. Um, so I tell them to forget. But what happens on my end is I uh, issue some paperwork for them to sign naturally. And then I issue a stock certificate. So um, that, that, that's what really matters in the end, because I mean, the value of KPL as a company could go through the roof, but another factor there is the, the number of shares outstanding. So, excuse me, when, when investors, when they cross that threshold, sometimes they genuinely do forget. And I mean that in a sincere way. It's, it's really great for me because they aren't asking me, you know, at a graduation party or things like that, but they just know that it's under control. And when, in that letter, that six page letter, that thesis that you mentioned, um, I, I made it very clear to them about the expectations that I should have from them and they should have from me. And one of them was, you will not get weekly updates, monthly updates, semi-annual updates even. You will get an update at the end of the year and after we fundraise money. Um, so maybe, maybe two times throughout the year, about what, what, what it is we've been up to. And that, that's all you can expect from me. And I told them I'll be as honest and forthright as I can in that. Um, but that, that's the general attitude of my investors. And um, so far they've really liked it. I haven't heard any pushback um, because I feel in this world where we're bombarded with many things, they like to just sit down with something and know this is, this is it, this is, this is what's going on. This is the seminal account of the year, so yeah. to say, but. Well, and it's just so, like I said, it was so well worded. And, you know, when you look at responsibilities of you and responsibilities of the investor and kind of what really, how everything would transpire, I mean, it was just set for success from the get-go. I just, I well, really look at that. And when you look at any type of, you know, detail transactions and things that are just so unknown, unknown to, to very, you know, not the novice investor, but you have people that are probably very, you know, medium to high level investors and Bitcoin really comes in as just kind of something that we don't all know a lot about. I thought that that just really just, if anything, spot on for super, you know, just growth and success of future investors that you could talk to. So they know, yep, this is what you do and this is how it works. And, and really detailing really kind of what, you know, what the whole philosophy is of KPL. So, well, I, 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 to rewind just a bit, I, the only reason I ever wrote that letter, because I read a book, it's called Ground Rules. It was about Warren Buffett and his early partnerships. And there, there's this iconic kind of scene the author portrays at the beginning, where Warren Buffett has all these people around the dining room table, and he has all this formal legal, legal work in front of them. And he says, I want you to forget it. And he pulls out a one page sheet that says ground rules. And that's, that's, that's what the people took away. And that was the name of the book, ground rules. Oh my gosh. Warren Buffett's early partnership. And that, that was the kind of the genesis of that idea. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, as far as one of my definitely mentors and one that I love to follow is Warren Buffett. And, and it is sometimes where we're in such a technical, you know, multi just, you know, hundred page kind of document to get to the end legally and all these things. It is, you just, you need, you need the pinpointed, you need the bullet point. Like you said, the ground rules, like here's, you know, here's how we're going to operate. And, and that's success right there. So, so when I see companies that I, and I work with a lot of companies and I see people that are building, you know, different types of, you know, all different kinds from every kind of aspect of commerce. And it is the ones that can really build, grow, scale, have, have those ground rules that it's like, you know, and then, you know, you know, you can capture your customers and, you know, the customers will trust you. So what a great book to, you know, really, you know, have that to fall back on when you're starting instead of 10 years down the road. Oh, this is what we should have done. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, no. Perfect. Spot Definitely. On. So John, tell us a little bit on motivation. Um, you start a company and you've, you know, you've got this amazing, you know, degrees that you're finishing up and you've got a full-time job and all of a sudden now you get eight hours off for a day and start this company. So what's, what's the motivation that, that gets you to where you're at today? Honestly, um, I, I've never thought about it in terms like that, but I've always known from a very early age that I was wired to always act on an idea to just see if it would work. Um, I mean, it, I've, <laughs> I, I, there's been many times where I'll go home cause you know, I live in Omaha and I'll go home and see my parents and maybe even my grandparents and I'll be at the kitchen table and I'll say, I have an idea and they'll just have this look of terror or look of confusion, some look <laughs> that it's not what you'd expect when you get a, when you hear a statement like that. Uh, and my family likes to joke that I, I'm the idea guy. Um, just because I have all these ideas, but never enough time to do them. Um, but it, it, that's just kind of the way I'm wired. It, motivation is maybe intrinsic in that sense. Um, I just, if, if this was an idea that I had and I thought deeply about, it, it would be a death to me not to try to figure it out and to do it and act upon it. But mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's the long story short of that very, very, you know, provoking question. Yeah. A lot of times too, when you think motivation, Johnny, you said it perfectly. It's like how you act upon it. Motivation. It's like, we're not, I really believe this. And I think we're not born motivated, but we have motivating ideas and really action first then leads to motivation. And so you act upon it. And then like, just like that whole day you took, you know, the actions and then it just motivated you to keep going and going and going and going. And then just step-by-step, step, you know, you create KPL and then you just layer it. You just keep adding to where, you know, it starts from ground zero and keeps going. Um, and it's interesting when you talk about like you're sitting at the kitchen table and people like, you know, they're worried what you're going to say. I feel like, you know, it'll be a time that it's going to be, you're going to be sitting at the kitchen table and it'll be like EF hut. And they're going to be like, oh my gosh, we got to listen to what John's going to tell us because it's going to be very, very profound and very important. And, uh, and, you know, and, you know, you look at your young age of just starting out and, you know, your philosophy on life and philosophy on investing, um, definitely a huge asset when you're talking to people that they'll, they'll be intently listening <laughs> to you. I know. So John, what would be some things of future goals? You know, I mean, you're so young, but it's like, when you think about where you want to be, I'm kind of a definitely like a definitely age-driven person, like where I want to be five years from now and at what age, what are some future goals you're looking towards? Oh, uh, future goals. Um, 
So I guess a good caveat to this question is I've never been a five-year plan, 10-year plan kind of guy, just never have. Um, but um, when it comes to future goals, um, the wonderful, the picturesque kind of image that that recalls in my mind is, you know, married, kids, and I'd like to return to smaller town USA. Omaha is great, but um, there's, ju there's just something about uh, the smaller town lifestyle that has always appealed to me. Um, so that's certainly a goal of mine. And um, at some point, I would love for KPL to be my full-time work. Um, but that, that in my very narrow and near horizon is the best answer I can give there. Oh, that's awesome. Awesome. I think, you know, when you look at when you build, when you build companies and you can design, you know, and it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of time, but you can design, you know, logistically, maybe where you could be at, where you could be working at. I mean, KPL is a company that can travel with you everywhere you go everywhere you yep. go and that's just that's what's just you know awesome about you know when you first start this whether it's you know still having to work full-time and then this is you know your your dream of you know your big investment company i just feel like it's you know you've got such a awesome start on it that it can evolve with you at whatever level pace you want it to grow and yeah. you know as long as i have a mailbox and an internet connection i'm <laughs> So like, there you go. <laughs> it's the great thing about remote work. So whether I'm in 19 County or whether I'm here in Omaha, I can do whatever I have provided I have my laptop. I mean, it works really well. So, Good. so while we're kind of talking about, you know, I think our listeners would really like to know when, you know, as far as what is maybe give us some of that education again of like kind of the Bitcoin education and then on into what Bitcoin mining is and what that sure. just it's almost like this elusive term. I was like, yeah. what does it mean? Yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, so my interest in Bitcoin was peaked long before I ever founded my company. Uh, I say long before several months, but it, within those months, I did a lot of reading, podcast listening, etc. Um, but it was January of 2021, several people mentioned Bitcoin to me. And I thought, these people don't know each other. There's no connection that they would have externally or otherwise. Maybe I'm missing something here. Maybe there's something I'm overlooking. So um, I read, I listened to podcasts. I'm a big podcast junkie. I, I love them a lot. Um, I really love those long form discussions. Those are, those are priceless in my view. But when it, when it came to all that, I made, I made a decision that I was not going to buy Bitcoin until I had listened to a set of podcasts, 33 in total, probably an hour to an hour half long, that um, this one guy produces that I was a big fan of. His name is Preston Pish for anyone out there who knows that name. But anyway, I wasn't going to make a decision on Bitcoin until I'd listened to all 33 of those. And it was on May 10th of 2021 that I did. And for a long time, up until then, I had told people this typical um, line when it comes to Bitcoin, that it's funny money, that it's not real. So on that day, I also wrote a letter. I, that's how I communicate mainly is in letters. And I wrote this letter. I call it my Bitcoin conversion letter, explaining how I went from a Bitcoin atheist to a Bitcoin convert. Mm -hmm. And I made it a little hammy. I tied in St. Paul, road to Damascus, all those things. But it got my point across. And um so back, back to your original question of what is Bitcoin? Well, Bitcoin, people think of it as a, uh, 
uh, what do you want to call it? Just this little ticker that goes up and down on a screen that zips back and forth at the speed of lightning. And to a degree, that's true. But Bitcoin at its core is an immutable ledger that has only 21 million tokens being the coins, 21 million Bitcoins. And you can keep track of that. You can't fraud Bitcoin because that's what the blockchain does. The blockchain, up, the blockchain upholds the integrity of the Bitcoin ecosystem. And a lot of what gives Bitcoin its value is the fact that there's only 21 million coins that will ever exist. Right now, the, the issuance supply, the issuance schedule, excuse me, has anywhere from nine, probably around 19 million as we sit here today that are already issued. They will all be issued by 2,140, roughly. Um, so that, that's where a huge factor driving Bitcoin mining, uh, Bitcoin comes from. Bitcoin mining is the very thing that brings those 21 million coins into existence. And that's where in verifying all the transactions to be sure that they're, you know, of good worth, sound. Right. That, um, that Bitcoin um, should, you know, should those transactions get the thumbs up, the green light, they're good to go. Well, they're added to a block and those blocks are added to the blockchain. And these big, very powerful computers that solve these problems, these cryptographic puzzles, the one who is rewarded, um, the one who solves that puzzle is the one who gets the reward, which right now is 6.25 Bitcoin. And that can get really technical, but for the purpose of this interview and the purpose of your listeners' knowledge, that reward gets smaller and smaller every four years. So four years ago, roughly, we'll call it, it was um, 12.5 Bitcoin. Before that, it was 25. And that's the whole reason behind that is it's trying to mimic the creator of Bitcoin, who is anonymous, no one knows who he is, but he invented Bitcoin in such a way to mimic the supply and issuance of gold. Because when you think about it, a lot of the gold that we have was above the earth millions of years ago. Not millions, but thousands, okay? Aztecs, Incas, we can get into that. So it's what they call a stock to flow ratio, meaning the stock, what is above the ground, is a lot larger than the flow, what's coming out of the ground. And that's where Bitcoin follows that same methodology. There's a lot more Bitcoin, 19 million currently above ground, we'll call it. And there's about, you know, 2 million or so left to flow above ground. And that, that provides a steady stream of issuance, a steady stream of flow. It's exponential, um, but that, that's how that works. Sorry to confuse anyone listening, but that's how oh, that works. No, that's a great, great description of it. And I think where people, you know, just, I think some people just kind of get lost on it. And it's kind of like when you talk like, like the ground rules of it. The ground rules of Bitcoin, what's interesting, just like you said, the limited supply. And so that's where your company really comes in, I feel like, when you talk about the mining. And so, and really maybe kind of tell the listeners a little bit more on, because like if someone would say, oh yeah, I'm, there's a Bitcoin mine. And I mean, I would think a lot of people would think, wow, really? There's someone physically like in hard hats yeah. with the little light, you know, with the light on the top of the hard hat going down an elevator to a mine shaft, you know, down below to an actual mine. Yeah. And because it there's, I think there is, there's so much of that, that it's like, well, why would you, why would, why would we even have that terminology of Bitcoin mining? Maybe yeah. talk a little bit about, and I know you kind of touched on it briefly, but maybe how important that is to KPL. Yeah, no, entirely. Um, because when, when I explain it, especially to my investors, my potential investors as well, Bitcoin mining, has an extra economic benefit in the sense that when you pay for a miner, miner being the machine that brings those Bitcoins into existence, you're paying for the hardware, then you pay for electricity every month. That's it. So if Bitcoin is above a certain price, well, 
then, then you're getting it at a discount, an extreme discount, because all you've done is pay for the miner and pay for the electricity. Right now, when Bitcoin is at roughly 22,000-ish, um, it's, it's not that great a discount. But the nice thing is you can hold that Bitcoin till judgment day and see the appreciation there. So yeah, one, a lot of people talking about the term Bitcoin mining, the term of in and of itself, a lot of people within the Bitcoin mining community think that was the worst decision ever made because it kind of brings up this connotation of your pillaging, your, you know, victimizing the earth or things like traditional mining right. might, might have connotated with it. But Bitcoin miners are generally, you can do it at home. I don't, but you can. But generally, they are stored in these very large server farms. And it's just a very, very powerful computer, along with dozens, if not hundreds of others that are doing, doing the Bitcoin thing, bringing that Bitcoin into existence. So that's, that's a greater picture. But no, I think that, yep, I think for our listeners, you know, they'll have, some will have vast knowledge, some will be, this will be the first time they're really kind of hearing this and wondering, oh my gosh, what really is this? Because oh. I think they'd be worried to think you were mining, like, oh my gosh, you know, do you, <laughs> are you, well, how are you going to survive that? <laughs> no, and a common thing that I hear, especially with Bitcoin mining, and people love to ask me about this, is they say, John, what about all the energy costs? Aren't there huge energy costs with it? And they're right. These Bitcoin miners use a lot of energy, but in states like Texas, who had a lot of problems with their grid last year, they're finding that Bitcoin mining is a viable solution. And why is that? Well, when you have a bunch of people who want a virtually endless supply of electricity all throughout the year, as in these Bitcoin miners would, that gives all these power companies a baseload in which they can produce all this electricity and expect someone to buy it. Well, when push comes to shove and they need those grid operators to get electricity to the people who need it, i.e. air conditioning, i.e. you know, just living domestically, re residential, there, there are contracts they negotiate with these Bitcoin miners saying, hey, for this period of time, power off when it's, when it's, when it's gone past, when the grid is able to handle the, the surge, turn back on again. And it's worked remarkably well because Bitcoin mining, in a sense, takes stranded electricity and monetizes it. For instance, um, there are a number of Bitcoin miners that is, are situated on dams, abandoned dams even, because they have all that hydroelectric power that's just being led to waste. So um, it works out really well for them. Um, but that, that's just a minor, minor point there. But it is super interesting on the energy front. Bitcoin intersects a lot of things, politics, economics, energy, all those things. So. And I think that's kind of the hidden thing, you know, like you were talking about the energy cost and placement, like you said, and where it's, you know, when you look at the mining part of it, and I think that's a very, I mean, that's, would you say that's really the core of KPL? I mean, that's really, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's, you know, if you think of like the core value of the company, it's like the mining part is what generates for the investor, really, you know, the whole potential for the growth of the company. Entirely. Yep, entirely. And right now, as, as we speak, um, we have one Bitcoin miner in operation. I expect in the next two-ish two months, um, six more to go online. So I, I'm, very, I'm very glad with those, those numbers, very optimistic. And once again, having kind of a Buffett, Buffett background mm -hmm. um, and having a Bitcoin leaning, people view that as a contradiction, but really Bitcoin mining incentivizes the long-term holder to, because you can't just go trade a machine in and out like you can stock or Bitcoin. You have to hold on to it. You have to invest in it. So um, that's what I tell my investors. This is a long-term relationship. So mm -hmm. 
And right. So far, yeah, so it's it's not like a day trading. It's you know, like you said, and that's really even the Buffett style. It's like you get companies that you you believe in, companies that you know you can see the potential, and and you just stick with them. And yeah. and that's that's built that's built the Berkshire is what that is. Yeah. So John, why don't we switch gears just a little bit? And sure. I'm going to ask you a question that, you know, I like to ask a lot of my list, a lot of my people that I interview, but how do you personally define success for yourself? Yeah, there are a multitude of ways. I think I could answer that question and be right in many of the answers that I give, but um, financially it would obviously be an appreciation in the share price of KPL for my individual investors. Um, that that's a definition of success. Um, back when I was in the academic world, it would be a sufficient GPA that I could be proud of, et cetera. But for me personally, it's, it's doing the right thing at the right moment as the best as I'm able really. Um, because there's a lot of hindsight, hindsightedness, if that's a word that says, Oh, I should have done this, done that. Well, we can't control that. Um, and if I can do the best of my, to the best of my ability, what is right with the time, energy, resources I'm given, I'm okay with that. And specifically when it comes to relationships, the older I get, um, the more I realize just how much those matter. Because as much as I love it, when one of my college friends who thinks Bitcoin is sexy hops into my partnership and they're so happy to be there, I am all the more humble when a lady I know who's known me my entire life says, John, I'm in. Um, that that's something else. And that's really amazing. Um, so I guess to put it succinctly, if a successful life has to include service to others, um, but at the end of the day, if the people you love, love you in return, I think that's a pretty good definition too. That was, that was a kind of hodgepodge definitions there, Julie, but that's kind of the gist. Oh no, that's great. You know, it is because success is, it's, it's so, it's so different for all of us, you know, what drives us, what keeps us to where we work so hard at different, you know, different things that we value. And, and I think, you know, like you said, it's almost like the golden rule, you know, you were talking about that and, yeah. and just the prestige of, you know, knowing that these people, you know, that they, they depend on you and they value you and they trust you just, I mean, yeah. that, that just, un, you know, dying trust of, you know, knowing that, you know, you're going to take care of them. And I think that's just, yeah, that would have to be just something that could just keep you going, you know, you know, for hours and hours, and hours to work into the wee hours of the night. <laughs> totally right. That's the most humbling thing when I sit down with people and they'll say, John, I don't understand exactly what you're doing, but because it's you, we're in. That that's that's something mm -hmm. special, and that that humbles a guy to no end. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I, I tell this to people all the time. But when when you have a company in which other people participate in investment and in equity, um, just that that is something that is intrinsically motivating in and of itself. You can't escape that. Mm -hmm. I was listening to a hedge fund manager. He was on some podcast, and he had he had pictures of all his investors on the wall looking down at him. So he would constantly feel that responsibility. Fortunately, a lot of mine are family and friends. So I see them often, I don't need <laughs> the picture, but um, it has the same, same essence, same meaning. Yeah. Well, and it is, as you know, and if, you know, people have kind of been listening and hearing kind of what your business is and the business plan and all about Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining, well, KPL, I mean, it's a partnership. 
Mm-hmm. And a partnership, I mean, you're, you're tied to that person and you trust that person and you want, you want both parties to succeed ultimately to the ultimate success. And, you know, like you said, I mean, it's just having that, you know, that just that knowing trust that you've done your due diligence and your, you know, all the work you've done to, to protect your partners. That's what's, you know, I think too, I think that's where you see, you know, they see the value of you. Yeah, entirely. So John, you haven't been in business that long, but do you have any lessons that you'd like to share throughout your first year that uh, you could share with our listeners? Yeah, and I, when when people ask me just socially, casually, um, what I've learned or what, what's been the most important thing, um, and like you said, haven't been in business that long, but it rings true, I think, not only in the business world, but in any, any sense, is communication. Um, because earlier, we were, I was trying to define the exact responsibilities and duties that I have within a given day of you know, running KPL, but 90% of my time is probably spent on communication. And I, I labor intensively over the letters I write my partners because I want them to have all the information that I would want should I be in their shoes. And I try to communicate it in such a way that is um, digestible, that they don't have to email me back with a dozen of questions. And that, that's a huge marker of success when I send out a letter to my partners and I don't hear from them. I mean, that means they understood <laughs> what I was saying, hopefully. Um, but and uh, like I said, with that six page letter, um, I refer to it as the KPL constitution. I mean, even with new investors I'm trying to uh, partner with now, I say things have changed slightly since this letter was written, but it's, it's still the, it's still the bones, it's still mm-hmm. the fundamentals. And the only reason I can say that is because I labored over it for a day, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, was, it was, I didn't leave the house that day. I want you to know. <laughs> I, I, I just stayed here um, and wrote that all day. But yeah, communication is, it will win. It will win. It's just so, so important. And um, yeah, even, even when I do communicate to my investors, I'll write that letter. But I'll also make a video because I know there's a number of them that won't sit down to read even a two page letter or a three page letter. Um, So I always try to make a video and say, here's what you need to pull away that I think will benefit you to know. So communication. Oh, so key and so key to recognize that we all just don't fit in the same box. Some people very visual learners, some people that just like to digest and read, 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 read. And then and some can read and don't really like the visual, but really need then the in-person, you know, verbal telling them, you know, kind of what everything is. And, and then some that just, you know, don't need very much at all. And you could talk for 30 minutes and they're like, great, whatever you need, I'm here. And, and, So to be at such a young stage of the company's life and you look at, you know, your business plan and you look at how you've mapped it all out, because it is, there's so much, there's so many hoops you had to go through. And, you know, when you look at anybody starting a company, you've got, you know, the tax, the legal, the financial, then let alone now you weren't just starting, you know, a certain business by yourself. You really needed to bring your partners in. And, and to have them, you know, everyone on the same level of knowledge that you were already at, it's, that's, you know, it's, it's a lot of communication, definitely yeah. a lot of communication. No, it, 
Yeah, and right there, you you described the spectrum of what what I encounter when I talk to people. Those who will read it and love it. Those who will just read the first line and say, "Okay, whatever, I'll give them some money." And then there are those who will just watch the video and always want me to answer questions personally. Mm. I mean, that that's a pretty good spectrum of what what I envision and what I encounter when I send those kind of things. But well, John, um, before we kind of finish off our interview here, um, we'll give you a little bit of time to kind of give us a little bit more background on how, what, when, where, why on KPL and how we can get a hold of you. So um, oftentimes I tell people, if you want to know what I'm thinking, check my Twitter. Because um, And I don't say that in any sarcastic way, but I use Twitter kind of as a record of what I've read. If I find an article I found interesting or even a PDF, as exciting as that sounds, if I found it interesting, I put it there not for my 400 some followers, big number, you know, not for them to read, but for me to look back and say, oh, that's when I read it. That's when it kind of, you know, literally flew, flowed into a timeline of kind of the continuity of my thinking in certain respects. And Sometimes I do take a pot shot at anti-Bitcoiners now and then, but by and large, I think it's pretty substantive information. And you can find that by <laughs> Googling John Cannell on Twitter. I forget what my handle is, but um, yeah, that's, and I will say this because Twitter um, generally kind of gets a bad rap in recent years, especially. Um, but if you use it right, you can learn from people who are at the top of their game and they're sharing that same information. I mean, I follow people who put out these excellent charts, very technical, very complex charts, and they explain them in a long thread. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's sometimes better than three credit hours of a university course right there. Oh, um, so I, I, I'm a big advocate. I use it often. And if uh, that's, that's um, what people have, they should certainly follow me there. I don't have Facebook, Instagram, or any of the other stuff. I've just kept my Twitter. <laughs> no, that's a, well, that's a good platform to, you know, like you said, there's a lot of, uh, just enormous amount of detailed volume, you know, of educational items out there on Twitter. And some people think of social media, you know, that it's just a waste of time. Well, there are so many levels, like I'll tell people that say, well, I don't have social media. And I'm like, well, you just need to follow us because I mean, we're just, our whole intention is, you know, for betterment of your life, for betterment of your finances, for betterment of how you can build your wealth. And, you know, and it's, you know, and our time's so limited, our time is so precious that we need to, you know, be certain, you know, be involved in certain social medias that, you know, can help further people. Well, John, this has been an amazing interview and I, I have thoroughly enjoyed it. I've learned so much more and I think our listeners are just going to get definitely take a lot from today's interview. And so in our show notes, we'll have your Twitter feed so they can find you intently and watch everything with KPL <laughs> and, and definitely uh, a little more detailed information too. We'll put in our blog all about things that you were teaching us today. But we just wish you just awesome success. And I'm, I'm just, I know you, you already are successful. And to the, the success of how you defined it, how, you know, your partners, how they look up to you and how they value you um, is, is just a success that you can't even quantify. That just, you know, is awesome to see already in your first year. So thank you. We appreciate you. And uh, we look forward to future interviews to catch up with KPL and see the progress it's making. Wonderful. Thank you, Julie. It's been a pleasure.
We hope you enjoyed all that John and Julie had to say. It's been a pleasure having you here, and we can't wait to see you back next Thursday for part three of the Mastering Your Money series. In the meantime, so you don't miss us too much, follow us on Facebook and Instagram to gain sneak peeks on what's to come. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time on the JDB Impact Podcast.